Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback on Clubhouse, YouTube Live, and taking your questions on WOR. So if you have a question on stocks, on technical analysis, on Bitcoin or more, we are with Stan Harley. So Stan, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, describe your background in the markets. Josh, I've been uh, involved with the financial markets for gee, close to 40 years <laughs> as, a, as a trader myself and professionally for about, for about 30 years. I've published a newsletter and of course uh, joined the firm here a couple of years ago as chief market strategist. Fantastic, and it's great to have you aboard. Uh, so what's going on? First off, uh, let's talk about what happened to the market today and this week. Uh, where are we in this uh, bull bear market? Josh, I think uh, we are in the midst of a decline. I think uh, the, uh, the lows we saw in uh, January of this year and the benchmark indices probably marked a, a significant high, uh, what I'm calling a seven-year cycle top. And we've got a couple of charts uh, to discuss to dis discuss that. But uh, I think once the market has made a seven-year cycle peak, um, it's going to head south. And that's what we're doing right now. And we're about the midpoint in that process. And I think uh, we've got some further downside, certainly vulnerability to explore. So let's break down what happened in, in the market this week. Uh, we re uh, we touched the low of June and actually broke through it. Uh, what does that tell us? Um, until this week, uh, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both had resisted, resisted breaking their summer lows. The Dow Industrials, the Dow Transports, the New York Composite did break their summer lows. And then just this week, we saw the S&P break its low. So I think uh, what we're setting up is potential further vulnerability uh, into the month of October. Then I think we might, might get a little bit of a, a rebound into November. Uh, but from that point, I think we're going to head further south into uh, probably in the end of December of this year. And I think that's going to mark a terrific buy-in opportunity. So you're optimistic, but not short term. Yes. So, so first... Uh, are you, are you short-term, what's going to happen in the next week or two? Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, but uh, we broke through the 36. We talked about this, I don't know, a day ago. It looked a little bit optimistic that we did not. Uh, we broke that 36, what was it, 36 what marker on the S&P? Yes. Um well, I think what it does, it's telling us that there's a potential for some southbound action ahead. How far down we go is difficult to say, uh, but I think between now and the end of the year, 25,000-ish on the Dow Industrials is very reasonable. We're at 29 and change right now. Uh, 25,000 is a major demarcation line in the minds of millions of investors, and I think that's probably a, a reasonable target between now and the end of the year. Wait, what did you say? 2,600 or 25,000 on the Dow? 25,000 Dow. Where in the S&P potentially? Oh, uh, in the low to mid 3,000s. Okay. So um, why do you think the market is going the way it's going? Well, from a technical analysis perspective, we're looking right now at a monthly chart of the S&P 500. If you look at our YouTube right now, we are showing the S&P monthly log chart. So... Yeah, explain, why do you use a log chart? Well, the market has advanced quite a bit. Uh, to use the arithmetic chart would be a little difficult to see because it would essentially be pointed sure. straight up in parabolic fashion. So by using a log chart, we can kind of scrunch it down, make it a little bit more easily discernible, sure. particularly in looking at cycles. And what, what we've done here on this chart, Josh, is highlighted a, a cycle that averages about 84 months. It expands and contracts, but nominally it's 84 months, which is exactly seven years. And as you can see, going back the last 60 years, every 84 plus or minus a few months, we've made significant market highs. The latest recurrence in this pattern occurred in January of this year. And so predictably, uh, we're, heading, uh, we're heading south. 
Uh, is this the uh, the big one, the Megillah Gorilla? Uh, a little early to say. Okay. A little early. I, I don't want to plan a well, stick. Well, 3,000 isn't Megillah Gorilla. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. Uh, yes. Um, what, how, what would 3,000 represent from the peak? Well, we topped out in the uh, the mid fours, so that would be about a third. Yeah, that'd be uh, about a third. So pretty significant. Pretty significant. I would point out that the declines from uh, March of 2000 into 2002 and uh, October of 07 and March of 09, both of those saw the Dow and the S&P decline close to 60%. Wow. So could it happen again? Sure. Will it? TBD. How do you know that's going to happen? Uh, I can't tell you the magnitude of the decline. Uh, It's challenging enough trying to uh, figure out the cyclical functions. Uh, Predicting what's going to happen on the x-axis for me is a lot easier than forecasting what's going to happen on the y-axis. Okay. So anything else that this 84-month chart would tell us? Well, uh, perhaps we can take a look at the second chart, and this same cycle will will be uh, very uh, instructive, I think, Sid. There York stock is shit. Yes, that's it. This is the New York Composite Index. This again is that same cycle, but whereas the prior chart depicted the market highs, this depart this depicts the troughs in that same cycle. And you don't need to use a computer; you can just use the uh, use the old eyeball, and you can see, wow, every seven years we tend to make significant lows in the stock market by clockwork. And uh, the analysis, when we get down to crunch some numbers, suggests this December might be an ideal time frame to look for the next low point in this seven-year cycle. And I think it's going to come in um, right about that time frame. What's the significance of these uh, vertical bars? I mean, does that mean it could go to 10,000? No, no, no. I just, I just drew those lines in just to highlight the, the troughs, the low points. In okay. this seven-year cycle, that's all that's meant gotcha. to do. Now, you had said something to me this week uh, that was interesting, that if you look back, we sort of are where we were prior to the COVID crash. Yes, and I have a chart right after this one that that uh, goes into that one. Okay, so we'll go into that one uh, next, but first let's talk about the 242-month low-low cycles. Here's another pattern that I think is very interesting that also suggests a low this December. If we go back the last 100 years and take a look at a chart of the Dow Industrials, one can see that significant lows that have occurred at roughly two 20-year intervals. Turns out to be 242 months, and it's 242 plus or minus zero. Hmm. Every 242 months for the last certainly the last 80 years, we've seen significant low points in the stock market. If the pattern continues, 242 months from October 2002 equals December 2022, just three months from right now. That lines up with some of the other cyclical analysis functions that we've looked at. Putting all these things together tells me as a technical analyst to look towards uh, the December timeframe for what could be a really important standout low in the markets. Why do you use October 2002 and not the 09 low here, the March? Oh, well, that was a that was a low, but a different cycle. Okay. So I'm just highlighting this particular What's cycle. What's the significance of the 242-month cycle? Uh, well, it marks... March, has historically, pivotal. very important low points. There was a low in April 1942. There was a low in June of 62. It really stood out on the charts. Uh, another major, what I call a springboard bottom in August of 82. Yes, there was an intervening low between the 62 bottom and the 82 bottom. That occurred in December of 74. But the cyclical low occurred in August of 82. 242 months later, October 2002. And then should the pattern continue, should it continue, it would suggest we should be looking at right around December 2022, i.e. about three months from right now for the next low in this cycle. And I think it's the evidence is very compelling that we are going to see a low then. Oh, fantastic. 
So, folks, uh, when we return, we'll be back with more technical analysis in the markets. We'll do Bitcoin technical analysis, real estate analysis, stock analysis. Take your questions on All Matters Financial. And, folks, if you want a free copy of Stan's latest work, we will give it to you for free when you schedule and keep your own portfolio review that's a 27-point ultimate financial game plan. Call us now, 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-5674, 888-988-JOSH. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future in a down economy. Josh and his team at the Jelinski Advisory Group can help you lower your taxes and lower your risk in these uncertain times with a 27-point checklist designed to improve your financial health. Whether you're worried about runaway prices, fear of an upcoming recession, or a stock market meltdown, tune in to the financial quarterback and count on Josh Jelinski to call the play. For a free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check, call 888-988-5674. That's 888-988-5674. Or visit Jelinski.org. That's J-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.org. And we're back. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, with Stan the Man Harley, who we're going to talk to him about he was how he was the original Tom Cruise first. Uh, and then we'll go back to markets. So describe uh, your time, like your background, uh, MBA. Uh, I, I know you went to UT Austin. Talk about like, how do you get into the financial markets? Uh, I graduated from the University of Texas with a, a degree in aerospace engineering. And uh, from there, I joined the, the US Navy and uh, served as a naval aviator for a number of years, flying uh, the F-4 Phantom, the F-14 Tomcat, the F-18 Hornet. Um, after the Navy, went to work in aerospace at Northrop Grumman, was there for a number of years, and uh, ended up getting into uh, leaving the, the defense world in, in the early 90s, got involved with the uh, financial business, and have been doing this for the last 30 years. So uh, how, how many years did you serve in the military? I was in uh, a little over nine years. Wow. And what I know your nickname, I remember your nickname was Hog. <laughs> that was my call sign, yes. Why did they call you Hog? Harley uh, Davidson? Well, actually, yes. Uh, when I checked into my squadron VF-102 uh, down at NAS Oceana, I, of course, I didn't have a call sign. And uh, one of the pilots in the squadron used to have a Harley David motorcycle, Harley Davidson motorcycle, Harley motorcycle, yeah. I'm trying to say. And he thought, given my last name being Harley, I should have the name Hog. I hated it, let everybody know I didn't like it. That was the worst thing you could possibly do when you join a fi fighter squadron, is tell people you don't like your call sign. Hog doesn't like his call sign, Hog. <laughs> so you were Hog. And they wrote it in big letters all over the board, <laughs> spelled it H-A-W-G. And I protested, but it stuck. It was a little bit foretelling of the future. You know, bulls make money, uh, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Do you yeah. make that connection? Yeah. So it gave uh, <laughs> sort of uh, destined you, you were predestined for the markets. Uh, so how did you fly? So you flew, uh, what type of plane did you fly? Um, started out in the F-4 Phantom, then... Uh, we transitioned to the F-14 Tomcat, which is where I have the majority of my flight time. And then, uh, then I did got some flight time in the F-18 Hornet as well, stationed out on the West Coast. So what makes someone want to become a, a, like a fighter pilot or, or whatever you would be called, I guess? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, I think- uh, Meaning was it something like, like my seven-year-old's like, I want to become a baseball player. Were you sure. like, I want to be, when I was a kid, I did, I actually had a, had a little stint where I did want to join the Navy and go to Annapolis. There was like a, I, I had this little kick. Did you have that as a kid where, oh, I want to uh, well, you know, actually, serve the Well, yes. The uh, I grew up, actually, I grew up in that environment. My father was an Air Force officer. So we lived on military bases all my life. He was a fighter pilot. So I grew up in that environment cool. and he certainly was instrumental in molding me the way I am today. Uh, and in, uh, in college, I 
thought uh, I thought perhaps I would, uh, instead of the Air Force, go in the Navy and fly airplanes. Given that my degree was in aerospace engineering, I thought it would be good to have some experience flying them. Um, and I did that for a number of years. So you had experience uh, landing. How hard was it to land a plane on an aircraft carrier? It's probably For Na Navy pilots uh, undergo a lot of training. Uh, it takes uh, uh, just a huge amount of training to learn how to land on a ship and learn all of the uh, what we call the boat procedures, everything connected with landing and flying around uh, an aircraft carrier. It's it's complicated, but it's it's doable. It's it's learnable. Wow! Even so, I learned how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a pretty sharp guy. So, uh, fantastic. So, folks, uh, we will take your questions. Jim uh, can check the YouTube for questions. I will uh, check the clubhouse chat for questions. Okay, so now we're going to go to the Dow charts. Uh, let's go to the Dow chart. Here, here's the Dow chart uh, as of today. And just in the last few days, the market has been hesitating. The volatility essentially has dried up. And one might wonder, well, why? What's going on? Well, the simple explanation is the market, as measured by the Dow Industrials, has pulled back to the same level where it was in February of 2019, the, the so-called COVID high. And that was also the high in September of 2020. So with those two highs standing out on the chart, former resistance now serving as support, the Dow has been holding up here for the last couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, however, uh, I think it's probably going to break this area of support starting next week. And uh, I would not be surprised at all a week from now to see the uh, Dow Industrials back in the area of the uh, October 2020 lows. So that would put us down... Mm, Somewhere in the mid mid two thousand twenty six thousand range, I think that's that's possible. That's very possible. Uh, so the, that's the bearish case. So we break through twenty nine one forty. I guess if we don't break through that. That's bullish. Like, what would make you a bull? Well, uh, the time cycles are not there yet for a a bull market to renew at this point in time. But I would need to see the market across the board, the major, the five major benchmark indices, the Dow Industrials, the Dow Transports, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ Composite, and the New York Composite, all of them stabilize, stop going down. We need to see the advanced decline line stop going down, and we would need to see a significant reversal back to the upside. That within the context of when the time cycles say a reversal is, is, is likely, all of those things together would then change my view from suggesting there's downside vulnerability to more in terms well, of bullish potential. Sure. Wasn't there something with your time cycles talking about October 6th for a while? Yes. Is that still the well, case? Still is. I'm looking for a low in the vicinity of October 6th. Yes. Okay. Next week. Yes. So I think we're looking at... So next week could be really bad or it could be... I think... Really. Uh, I think uh, ne next week is likely to have some weakness. Hmm. Uh, the uh, the short term work suggests a low next week, a rally into the election, and back down for a final bottom at the end of December. Uh, it is conceivable the majority of stocks make their lows next week, right around October the sixth. We get some kind of sloppy rally into early November, back down again and retest it, and maybe a December low sees above or below a low relative to the October 6th low. That's just conjecture at this point. I don't know. We'll need to see how things develop. When was the last time we broke something like this bar? Do you have anything in like the 08 price movement? You know, does any of this look like 08 or 2000 to 2002 or not really? Um, yes and no, it's a seven year cycle decline. So mm -hmm. in that regard, the cycles are exhibiting a similar declining structure, but as far as laying one pattern over the next juxtapositioning, I'm not a big fan of that. Those things work for a while and then they don't. Uh, I have not seen a, a pattern overlay that, that really looks well. Uh, and even if I did, I probably wouldn't trust it. What about the 73-74, parallel? Uh, We've talked about that off and on. Uh, well, that was also a significant, very significant decline in the market. Um, the market, that was a seven-year cycle top in January of 73. 
and uh, the market went south for about two years. It bottomed in December of 74, and the popular averages uh, shaved off about a 50 percent. Wow. It was, it was quite a brutal market, and some stocks went down even more. Wow. So let's go to the S&P chart here. Uh, let's talk about this. Yeah, this is the S&P 500 current through the close today. Get it out of this view. Where are we? Right there. Double click on that one. There we go. The uh, market is measured by the S&P 500. It was down at Fibonacci 55 today at the close. As you can see, we have broken the June lows. A Fibonacci what? Uh, <laughs> well, the markets very often move intraday Fibonacci numbers. And I don't want to get too technical, but one of the Fibonacci numbers happens to be 55, and the S&P 500 closed down exactly 55 points today. I see that a lot. So um, what does that mean? Went down 55 points? It doesn't mean anything. Oh. It's just, oh, by the way. It's just... <laughs> Uh, it may or may not be down a Fibonacci number uh, Monday or Tuesday. And sometimes those things happen. Sometimes they don't. I just find it. So we're down 55 on as of Friday. Yes. Um, I mean, is there, there's some resist, uh, some support here, right? Going on. Well, the 3750 was a support level. I don't know what happened here. And, uh, and we've taken that out. And uh, I, I would say if the Dow were to decline down to mm, 26, 27,000 ish uh, over the next week, um, that might be that that might see the S and P go down uh, a commensurate amount, say somewhere down into the, the low three thousands. Um, don't uh, uh, I can't say with certainty, of course, what the magnitude yeah. of any decline would be, but that would be a reasonable expectation. Sure, I gotcha. So uh, what else does this chart tell us? Uh, well, all of the three moving averages on, the, on this chart, the 15-day in green, uh, above that is the 50-day in blue, and way up at the top in the middle of the page in red is the 200-day moving average. All three of those- Well, the 200-month. This is- That's a not the 200-day. This, is, this, is, is, a, a this is a daily okay. chart, so these are all daily moving averages. All three of these are pointed straight down gotcha. for the moment. So when we see some type of bottoming formation, first we would need to see that 15-day in green flatten out, level off, and then turn up. Uh, that would take price movement above that line. That has yet to happen. What about you get people just say, you know, Stan, if you just follow the 200-day moving average and you're in the market when it's above it and out of it when it's below it, uh, you give any credence to that? Uh, seemed to have worked, would have worked in this market. Uh, yes and no, but even in the uh, the uptrend, I believe we had a break below the 200-day. Uh, that's something I look at, but, but I wouldn't advise anyone to trade on that alone. Okay. Now, certainly over the last year, the 200-day moving average served as a resistance, both at the March 29th high and the August 16th high. You can see we went up and we kissed it exactly Bam. and repelled. Yeah, that, that's breathtaking how, how quickly we went down from the summer. Okay, now let's talk about, um, actually, we'll take a short break, folks, and then we'll talk about the 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. Where are mortgages headed? Will there be any relief in the mortgage market? And folks, if you want a copy of Stan's latest work, you get that free when you schedule and keep your no-obligation 27-point review. If you have questions on technical analysis, Call us 800-321-0710 to get on the program, or you can type in the chat box on YouTube or Clubhouse and call us today at 888-988-JOSH and get a free copy of his work when you schedule and keep your no-obligation review at 888-988-JOSH. That's 888-988-JOSH. We'll talk about mortgages in a, in a brief moment. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher or that the stock market is headed for bear territory. Or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. 
Tune in this weekend to The Financial Quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. And we return talking about the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. So 30-year mortgages uh, bottomed in 2021. We talked about our 2020. Remember, I called the exact bottom in mortgages. We should have traded off that. But anyway. I think uh, you, you refied your house right about that. The, the exact bottom. You nailed and, it. Uh, I remember we talked to our good buddy, uh, and basically, we, we, we hit the low, and now we're up to 6.7. Is this true, 6.7? Yes, this is as of today. I mean, that's ridiculous. That tells me the real estate market's going to crash, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so tell me what's going on with this chart. Um, interest rates have absolutely skyrocketed here over the last two years. Um, I can't recall having seen a rate of ascent at this kind of a slope um, ever in my professional career. I mean, rates have literally gone straight up. Now, this rate of ascent won't continue forever. Um, right now, interest rates have gone back into the area of the highs in 2006, 2007, 2008, right in the, um, the mid-six range. I would expect we might see a modicum amount of uh, stalling out uh, and the movement higher here for some period of time. Um, but down the road, I think the path of least resistance is going to be higher. It's northbound. Interest rates are probably going to go substantially higher over time. Near term, though, I think they could stabilize. Right? Substantially I higher? I do believe that, yes. How is that sustainable? Um, well, uh, that's what the cycle suggests. Um, yeah, you, you, you've been on this. I mean, you said eight to nine. I don't know. A few months ago, a year ago, and I was like, eh. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not far from that now. So you were pretty firm on that. What, what led you to believe that? I know there's this 40-year cycle. Is it just the 40-year cycle Well, in, in debt? Well, and, and, and we, we looked at that in a prior program. Yeah. Uh, yes. Going Explain back. the 40-year cycle uh, first. Yes. Uh, Going back hundreds of years, interest rates have uh, demonstrated a propensity to make a major reversal every 40 years. 40 plus or minus about two, 38 to 42, right in that range. We had a high in October of 1981. Prior to that, we had a low in the summer of 1940, another low in 1900, a high in 1860, and so on. So every 40 years, plus or minus about one or two, interest rates reach a major inflection point. The last one was October of 81. You add 40 years to that and you get October 2021. Well, look what happened. <laughs> so uh, absolutely, we've seen a, a 40 year cyclical turn in interest rates and they are now heading higher. When these 40 year pivot turns occur, uh, interest rates don't just creep up or creep down for a year or two, they tend to go for years, sometimes decades. This last one went for 40 years before reversing. Uh, so I don't, I don't know yet when this is gonna peak out, but we're looking at a number of years of steadily increasing interest rates. Hmm. Any sign it would stop or cool down a bit? Uh, well, in the near term, uh, we are up in the area of interest rates where they were in 2006, seven and early 2008, up there in the 6.5 region. I would expect some technical resistance given that we're in that same area. So I think we will probably stop going higher, chop sideways for a while, for several months, uh, but ultimately continue higher. Wow. So, man, what does that spell for the real estate market? Uh, well, let's, let's go to the next let's chart. Go, let's go to the next chart. Oops. Okay. There we go. 
Here's the Case-Shiller Index. This is the data that just came out this week. Uh, there's always a, a one-month lag in the data, but the uh, Case-Shiller Index appears to be topping out, and we probably peaked out last month. Different. This is the National Index. Uh, different regions around the country, some peaked a little sooner, some haven't peaked yet, but the National Index uh, is giving indications that it is topping out right about now, and I've been looking for a high in the latter part of 2022 for some time based on the, the cyclical work I've done. Um, now, a while ago, you said the low could be 2025 because I said, when would you buy a house? And you said 2025. Are you still well, holding well, to that? No, the, the, the cycle is about 64 months, roughly five and a third years. So assuming that we just topped out in June at about five, five and a half years, that would uh, give us a pretty good clue where to expect the next low. Five years from now. Yes, yes. The last uh, move from September of 06 into uh, early of 2012, February of 2012, went down 64 months. Exactly. That's a little, little over five years. So I would expect... So would people wait five years? Would you tell people, hey, wait five years to buy a house? No, a lot of people will play catch the falling knife. Okay. <laughs> and they will probably get burned. Uh, and they will buy in too early. But uh, the analysis, the cyclical functions uh, that I have under study would suggest we're looking at about five to five and a half years of downside following this peak that appears to have just occurred. So I gotta wait. I so should wait, I should late, wait a while. Uh, 2027, uh, early 2028 for a bottom in, in real estate prices. Yes. Wow. Yes, very analogous to the last one. Well, I know, I, I know one of our good friends, he just bought a house, but I told him not to, he said, his wife would kill him. <laughs> well, so sometimes your, your your personal life trumps things like that. But uh, well, it depends on whether you're buying a, a home to live in and you have no plans to sell it and you're going to stay there forever. Then price probably doesn't matter. A simple, very very simple technical indicator from this chart that it works exceptionally well. Uh, look at where the price bars, which are in blue, these are monthly price bars. I pull these off the Fred U.S. government website and then plot them. Uh, the red is an 18-month moving average. So take note of where the blue price bars cross either above or below that 18-month moving average, and it's a very, very good buy and sell indicator. So very shortly, I would expect the blue price bars to break below the red. The red That will be the sell signal. And basically, you don't want to buy real estate until the blue crosses back above the red, just like it did back uh, between 2006 and 2012. Well, Stan, you're wrong because I, no, I'm kidding. I, I bought, um, I bought right about here. Um, I bought my primary house right at the perfect time to buy in the bottom, but it was 2010 here. I guess regionally it's different. This is the average, which makes sense. Florida, Nevada, Arizona were hit so hard negatively Took a while for that to burn off. So the average they bought that makes sense. Yeah, they bought the, the, different different yes. uh, plans. So yeah, no, I bought at the absolute best time to buy, um, commercially and residentially. The hardest thing with waiting on real estate is always patience, right? Like you've wanted yes. to buy a home, I know. Yes, and and um, you know, I remember. This is financial tip of the day. Don't be persuaded to buy a nice house because of your in-laws or because of the Joneses. I remember we just started having uh, kids and people were like, you live here? I lived in this row home uh, in like a, a not, not um, you know, it just, we, we had two bedrooms. It was a fine, you know, you know, working class community, but we were growing and people were like, hey, you know, you need to, you know, get a bigger house. And I was like, yeah, just wait, I, you know, I, I'll buy when I buy. Because my theory was, this was back then, wasn't based on all these charts and cycles. It was based on affordability. Sure. And I was like, you know what? Four, I, you know, I, I thought four or 500,000 was a lot for a house. And in the early 2000s, those houses were going for like a million. I was like, who the heck's affording these types of houses? So I just thought naturally things are going to come down. Same thing now, like a starter home is what? 400,000, 350, and a nice house is like 700,000. Yes, in this area. You know, you can't, 
who can afford that? And so I could see things cool significantly in the next few years where we are. Uh, suburbs are still hot. The one thing I've had demographers tell us where you might be off, I kind of think you're right on the real estate market. They say, well, demographics are better, meaning there are more buyers now and fewer homes. So I don't know, have you given that much thought or it doesn't really, the cycle's work doesn't Well, that's, yes, but the charts take all of those factors into account. And it's a meeting of the minds. So maybe it factors in on magnitude, yes. but yes. not uh, And direction. now prices have gone to a, an upper extreme and somebody is saying, I'm not, I'm not paying up. <laughs> I'm going to mm. wait for a downtick. And that cascades and that's what creates the downward movement in, in home prices. Okay, so where are we going next, Dan? We've got one final chart here, Josh. Okay, so we'll go back to thoughts on Bitcoin next and we'll take questions from the audience. We have a couple more segments left, two more segments left. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. And if you want Stan's charts for free, schedule a no obligation review of 27 point ultimate financial game plan now, 888-988. Josh, that's 888-988-5674. And we will chart your top five holdings from a perspective of risk, fees, and taxations for free. If you call us now, 888-988-Josh, Use, utilizing Stan's work as well as my own and our team at Wealth Quarterback. So call us 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-5674. Friends, don't let, uh, don't let yourselves do it alone. We can help you. 888-988-JOSH. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future in a down economy. Josh and his team at the Jelinski Advisory Group can help you lower your taxes and lower your risk in these uncertain times with a 27-point checklist designed to improve your financial health. Whether you're worried about runaway prices, fear of an upcoming recession, or a stock market meltdown, tune in to the financial quarterback and count on Josh Jelinski to call the play. For a free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check, call 888-988-5674. That's 888-988-5674. Or visit Jelinski.org. That's J-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.org. And we return with Stan Harley talking. Now we're going to Bitcoin. Uh, you have some Bitcoin charting. Uh, go ahead. This is a chart of Bitcoin right through today uh, because Bitcoin has moved uh, in very steep fashion. Uh, it serves us well to plot it in log format, and, which means each movement on the chart relative to a base 10 factor is the same width. It just makes it a little bit easier to see what's going on with Bitcoin. And what I've done here is I've marked all of the significant highs in Bitcoin. I believe the high we saw in November uh, of last year was the latest significant market peak. Uh, and now we're heading south. The interesting fact uh, of late, uh, certainly for the last couple of years, Bitcoin and the S&P 500 have been somewhat correlated. Hmm. They've been making their highs and lows together on about the same time frame. That won't last forever, of course, at some point that that anomaly will diverge. Yeah, it seems like they move almost, you know, in tandem. Bitcoin's yeah. a little bit before. Have you noticed that? Like it tends to lead. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you called me up on yeah. the weekend and said, "Hey, Stan, Bitcoin's up. Stock market's going to rally on Monday morning." And then it rallies. Well, and it rallies. That's <laughs> a great call. Uh, and yeah, uh, I mean, it uh, will work until it doesn't. It will work until it doesn't. Yes, <laughs> it won't last forever. It'll least. work until the market yeah. figures it out, basically. Uh, but right now, Bitcoin is in a declining phase. Um, how far down it goes is is difficult to forecast. Uh, we're at about eighteen thousand ish right now. Uh, it was a thousand points a day. <laughs> but uh, by the decline, by the time the decline is over with, it would not surprise me to see us tagging ten thousand once again. Hmm. And uh, back to truck up. You're very bullish after. Well, yes, right. Yes, uh, uh, but the the two prior peaks poked their head above 10,000 
those were areas of resistance. So in, a, in a, an ensuing decline, very often, price pulls back to test those former highs. So since those former highs were up in the area of 10,000, it would be reasonable to expect the decline that we're in right now to find some kind of support in the same area of the December 17th high and the uh, June of 2019 high, which was around the 10,000 and change area. So that's what I'm looking for. Why do you use a log chart when charting Bitcoin? Because this would be bullish long-term, meaning the next kind of threshold to break, maybe this decade is 100,000, maybe maybe in a few years. Maybe, maybe down the road. Uh, But for now, we're uh, we're between ten and and hundred. No, but you've you've observed some base um, power of ten. Yes, because it's it, an exponential technology. Yes. What, well, what? as you can see from the chart, the significant peaks have generally occurred within the range of some base power of ten. Uh, the peak in twenty eleven occurred above ten. The peak in twenty thirteen, just above a hundred. The peak in the latter end, latter part of twenty thirteen just above 1,000, and so on. Interestingly, uh, the current run that peaked out in November of last year never made it to 100,000. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not sure how to spend that one, but uh, it could mean mean we have seen a significant high. So this bullish enthusiasm for Bitcoin 100,000 might be a bit overdone. And it might mean that uh, the high we saw in November last year may stand for some time. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, an area to look for support, again, I would emphasize the 10,000-ish area looks very compelling. Hmm. Uh, is, uh, do you have any other charts for us? That's, that's our final chart. Well, thanks today, for Jack. sharing the charts. Uh, folks, if you have a question for Stan, give us a call, 888-988-JOSH. We will review your portfolio for free, 888-988-5674, your top five holdings from a standpoint of risk, fees, and taxation. So let's talk about, you know, people don't really know how to manage risk. How would you talk to somebody who needs to manage risk? How would how would you emphasize risk management? I think uh, in, when embarking on any type of uh, investment, uh, one needs to plan out some type of strategy. And the strategy encompasses both price levels uh, as well as some type of function regarding how much of one's money, one's capital, does does one deploy. So, for example, if I was going to invest... Position in, sizing. Position sizing. If I were going to invest in the S&P 500, like the IVV or the SPY, for example, and I had committed in my mind $10,000 to put into the S&P 500 ETF. Would I go in all at once? Heaven's sakes, no. What I would do is through either my form of analysis or maybe fundamental analysis, some, some type of analytical function determine when I think a good time to buy the S&P 500 would be, and then go in incrementally. So if I had 10,000, maybe I would go in with 2,500 initially test the waters. And if the investment proved itself, maybe I would add some more. Or more importantly, let's say uh, the market went even lower from my initial investment. Then I have to decide, is my analysis a sound? Maybe I'm just a little early. If so, I'm just going to hold what I have. Maybe I add more. Or maybe I've made a mistake here. Maybe I should get out, stop myself out. Um, it, it's a complex undertaking. The point being is, one should never go all in from the get-go. One should have some type of what I call an algorithm, if you will, to manage the entry uh, into an investment. Now, when it's time to get out, when it's time to get out, generally it's time to get out. Uh, If you're a little unsure, maybe you take 50% off the table. If you're really feeling like, okay, I think this is the top, it's time to get out, you hit the sell button, you get out at the market, and then come back another day. And you don't worry too much about tax implications. You're you're more into capital preservation. Um, I mean, we 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 care about that we as do. a firm. As a firm, we do. Yes. Um, the so am- we have people with legacy positions. They yes. don't want to sell due to cost basis. We do tax loss harvesting, cost basis reconstruction, all that stuff. But I just mean, as a general principle, 
too many people you sometimes think uh, they let taxes wag the dog. Yes. Um, I think that's not the best way to approach investing or trading, depending on your time horizon. I think it to be more appropriate to look at the opportunity and look at the risk. And if the risk appears adverse, then get out and pay the tax man or take a loss if it's appropriate. Um, now, let, let's imagine a scenario where we're coming up within uh, a week or so of a long-term capital gain. Uh, as you all know, uh, if we hold an investment for one year and one day, then, uh, then a short-term gain becomes taxed at a long-term gain. That might weigh into one's decision-making in sure. terms of whether to get out. Uh, but if we're many, many months away and, and we don't like what we see, let's get out uh, and either lock in a profit or, or take a loss if it's appropriate. Oh, fantastic. So you say there are three prerequisites uh, to sound money management. I will reveal those three things when we return. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher or that the stock market is headed for bear territory. Or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to The Financial Quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. And we're back with Stan Harley. What are those three things that investors need to know about? Josh, I think there are three facets to this world of investing that, that we're all in that are just critical to, to making it a success. The first one is what I call asset allocation or asset selection. And that's what most of the investment world focuses on. Uh, and that's what most traders and investors focus on is strictly the asset allocation function. Where am I going to put my money? Am I going to go into the S&P? Am I going to go into biotech? Am I going to go into Apple Computer or Amazon? But there are two other important factors that need to be considered. In the and mind you, I've seen asset allocation done properly, like we do it with our strategic portfolios. And I've seen it uh, done in a lousy fashion, where people put yes. everything in the same ETFs. And although we like ETFs, we properly weight them, we position size them. Just because somebody has index funds or ETFs, it's not it's not a panacea. Absolutely. So what, what I'm talking about here pertains to either an ETF or an individual stock or even Bitcoin, for example. Uh, where do you deploy your capital? That's the number one consideration. Number two, and equally important, is the when, <laughs> the timing aspect. And one doesn't have to do the detailed market timing that we do here at the firm, the, the uh, serious number crunching, but look at a chart. Get a kind of a sense of, is the market in a downtrend? Is it an uptrend? Is it in a basing function? Try to get some sense in, in your own mind, is this a good time to buy or is this a good time to sell? Um, that's what I call the market timing aspect. And the third, uh, and perhaps the most critical of all function that has to be managed is what I call risk management or money management. You decide where you're going to put your money. Number one, you decide when, but you know those those can be off a little bit. So the third function that has to be managed that can perhaps make up for the other two is what I call the risk of the money management. That means how what percentage of my chips do I deploy at the at the outset, and what percentage of my chips do I deploy as the evolution. As the, as the investment evolves, whether I add to or subtract from, and then when do I take it all off the table? Um, it can be very complicated or it can be very simple. Um, I think at the simple at the simple level, if you take your money, as I was talking about earlier, and maybe go in a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, that, that makes sense for most of the time. You won't nail the exact bottom, um, but uh, if your timing is reasonably accurate, um, 
your average price uh, might be fairly, fairly close to the low. This is not the same thing as what some people refer to as uh, um, going in with the same amount of money. There's a term for it, and it escapes me at the moment. Um, but uh, it it entails uh, prudent risk slash money management, and I think dollar oh, cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging. That was the term I was it's thinking. It's not the Thank same you. thing as dollar cost <laughs> averaging. It's you're sort of legging right in. Type of my time. Yes. You know. Seeing if your conviction's right. If it yes. is, you leg in a little more. Yes. If it isn't, you you know you keep you, your chips. You keep, you keep hold your, your chips dry. back. Yes. Yeah. So if one masters or even comes close to mastering those three functions, then the process of investing or trading can be a successful undertaking. So uh, what are your thoughts on real estate? I know you do some real estate charting. You don't have a chart today, but uh, what do you think about gold? I mean, gold and silver. Metals, uh, didn't bring any charts today for the metals, uh, Josh. Um, um, I see the metals, precious metals complex is etching out a sideways Basin. basing evolution, yeah. yes. Uh, gold on the top end, about 2,000. On the uh, on the lower end, 1,700-ish. Could even go down to 1,500, perhaps, at the low end. Some of the cyclical work I've done suggests there's a 94-month cycle in the pattern of gold. Um, the analysis would suggest October of next year, plus or minus a couple of months either side of that date, might be a good point, point to look for a major low in gold. Now, a low could be a lower price, or it could be the apex of a sideways base, which is kind of what I think is likely. Yeah, that's what I think, too. And then we'll yeah. start legging higher. And then we'll start legging higher from there. Yes. Um, David Ranzen has, has a lot of good charting work on gold. Uh, we'll have to have him on, on that. So anything... Uh, else you'd like to share with our listeners that you haven't shared this hour? Josh, I think we've we've covered just about everything. Well, thank you. And folks, want to thank you all for listening. And again, if you want us to score, we will do uh, technical charts on your top five holdings. Call us now, 888-988-JOSH for free. Top five holdings. We will score them from a perspective of risk, fees, and taxation. Nobody's doing that for you. Call us now. 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-JOSH. I uh, want to thank you, Stan, for joining us. So if you want to subscribe to his newsletter, go to heartlymarketletter.com. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, signing off.